Blog Talk Radio. My name is Tom Mark Wiseau, Presidente, on a rainy Saturday morning high atop the Balance Studios here in the west suburbs of Indianapolis. This is the thing we call the balance. We do it every Saturday morning. I am on loan from God to you to guide you through the next two hours of sports. We've got a lot to talk about today. We're going to be talking about some college football. Notre Dame still on that streak. Man, oh man, oh man. Had no problems whatsoever against Syracuse. A lot of people thought that there would be some orange juice made out of some Irish, but there was not. So they keep moving forward. <clears throat> Could we see a playoff uh, contention uh, again with Notre Dame? We'll talk about that, of course, uh, uh, college football around the map. We're going to get a recap of NASCAR. Homestead, Joey Legato wins, and um, Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest joins us at 10 o'clock. Ed Kratz, beat writer for Philadelphia Eagles, uh, and our official NFL contributor, walk us through Turkey Hangover Day. Yes, we've had a lot of football on on uh, Saturday. The Detroit Lions coughed it up, mucused it up, and so we'll talk about their epic fail. And at the bottom of the hour, <clears throat> I mean, at the at the bottom of the show, uh, Matt Hicks, local radio personality, is going to join us to talk a little bit about the Indianapolis Colts, some high school uh, football as well. Standing by in our green room is Matthew Embry from up in South Bend. Going to be talking some Notre Dame, maybe some college, uh, I mean, some high school football with him as well. I'm Saul Mike with y'all, President Jay. Stick around. It's about to get good. Tonight. National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103. 
or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? Welcome back to the ballast. 917-889-8516 is our digits. If you want to jump in the conversation, time to get, as we always do every Saturday morning, we kick off with some college football talk. This kind of at an unusual time for us. Mo from the BS Sports Show. Matthew Embry uh, from Z94.3, 96.1 WSBT up in South Bend in, in Notre Dame. You're going to be breaking down some Notre Dame with us. We are Standing by for Rick Rick, and we'll see if he's got that turkey hangover as well. Mo, how are you doing, sir? Good morning to you. Good, buddy. It's uh, nice and cold and rainy in, uh, over here in Ohio today. <laughs> nice and cold and rainy here in Indianapolis as well. Joining us as well, Matthew Embry. Matthew, our, our uh, official IndyCar slash college football contributor, Notre Dame contributor, man of many hats. Matthew, how are you, sir? Isn't it interesting how this thing goes around? Uh, Oklahoma survives by the hair on their chin, 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 and uh, Washington State bites the dust. So, uh, field thinning out. And, of course, the big thing is uh, hopefully that would be very helpful if Ohio State could find a way to knock out Michigan. That would eliminate another team that could possibly knock Notre Dame out of the top four if the college football playoff committee 
uh, has any inklings about uh, Notre Dame not being uh, worthy even if they go undefeated. Well, let's get into that. Uh, we'll start with you, Mo. Uh, certainly, we, a lot of times we don't talk college football with you, but I know that, that you, you cover it as well, and we'll talk about some Ohio State, but certainly what everybody's talking about is Notre Dame. Notre Dame uh, beats Syracuse really quite handily. They got USC. They're, at, uh, they're out in Southern California. Uh, USC, not the Trojan team they once was. No Trojan horse there at all. What are your thoughts, Notre Dame, USC today? Well, you know, here's what I like about Notre Dame a lot uh, today, especially if you're looking at a gambling aspect. Uh, the 11.5 point spread is Notre Dame's been a covering machine this year. Uh, but, you know, you look at the uh, Notre Dame winning, I, I think if they win, there's no doubt that they're in. They hold a victory over the number four team uh, in Michigan. And I think uh, and actually a Michigan win today helps Notre Dame because it keeps them in that four spot uh, for right now and, and keeps the Irish with that, uh, that win. The win over Syracuse, the win over Virginia Tech earlier when they were ranked, Notre Dame's played a pretty tough schedule this year uh, and won games and won them handily uh, as the middle of the season uh, and on progress. So I think when you factor in the fan base and the national uh, status that Notre Dame has, uh, winning today is, makes them a lock for the college football playoff. Matthew, let's talk a little bit about Notre Dame, USC. Notre Dame, uh, certainly uh, we talked a little bit off mic last week about Syracuse. I know you weren't able to join us on the show. But Syracuse uh, didn't turn out to be much of a foe at all. Well, obviously a lot of the naysayers are saying the fact that Eric Dungey went down early made a difference, but I don't think it would have made a difference. I think even before Dungey went down, Notre Dame had them in control. Uh, be curious to see how Drew Tranquil plays today, uh, still batting the injury bug. But uh, I think the big question is, what about USC? I mean, are the players at USC going to be defending Clay Helton or not? If they come out strong and try to get today, try to find a way to upset, tells me they want Clay Helton as a coach. But if they come out, they fall behind early, and then they fall flat on their face. So that tells me that uh, they want to change, and maybe they want someone other than Clay Helton uh, running the uh, things for uh, the, you know, the future and looking on beyond. So uh, certainly a lot of focus on Clay Helton and certainly a lot of focus with the uh, if he has to begin another coaching search to find a replacement to Clay Helton. But for USC fans, keep in mind, before even with uh, Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll's first year as their head coach, they only went 6-6. Six and six. So I think if they're in the smart situation, I think they stick with Helton for at least another year and see what he can do. I think right now uh, trying to get rid of a guy after just one season I think is too hasty of a situation, too hasty of a move, even for a team like Southern Cal. Mo, let's, let's talk a little bit about this. We don't have it right here in front of me, but we look at uh, this Notre Dame-USC uh, game. It's always a look-at game, and I don't know if it's because of a of an age-old rivalry, but it's always a look-at game like, hey, uh, this is going to be a game where there's a tight spread, and as you mentioned, USC uh, has a history of covering uh, the spread whatsoever. Is this a game you, 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 uh, you put your money down on, or, or is this one of those games where you uh, hold them and, and, uh, and, and, and don't put any money down on it? Well, you know, in the betting world, you look for trends. And, uh, you know, the trend has been all year long that Notre Dame is covered. And when you've got a team that's covering as much as Notre Dame does, and the point spread is at a curious 11.5, if it was 14 or more, I would probably lean towards taking USC. But with the 11.5, it's a a Notre Dame thing all the way. And and to go on what Matthew said, you know, about maybe USC making a coaching change, I think USC – uh, is panicking a little bit, maybe feeling the pressure a little bit because of uh, of the Rams being in L.A. now. You know, they had that uh, they had that stadium in that city all to themselves for a while. UCLA wasn't really, uh, you know, a big football draw. But 
I think maybe uh, USC could be feeling the pressure, and Lin Swan could be feeling the pressure now that the Rams are there and are so good, and, you know, people, they're competing for that football dollar now, whereas a few years ago they weren't. So, you know, that could put some pressure on USC to maybe move on from Clay Helton as well. I agree with him, though. I, w- I would stick with Clay Helton again another year just to see what he could do. Matthew, Ian Booker grew up in California. They're in USC, USC territory. In fact, his younger brother was a huge USC fan. He was a UCLA, UCLA fan uh, growing up. How big of a factor is the California factor for Ian Booker this week? Well, if anything, it should be, get him even more determined to play harder. Uh, hopefully that's the situation. But uh, like I said, though, I think, Obviously, you look at people that say the Notre Dame-Michigan game didn't mean anything. Keep in mind with Notre Dame, Ian Book did not play. The less of their two quarterbacks, if you want to call it that, Brandon Wimbush was the starter. Dexter Williams was on the start of a four-game suspension. They were also walking wounded on defense. So, yeah, Michigan was missing players, but at the same time, Notre Dame was also missing players in that game. So, for those that say that today – Michigan would blow Notre Dame out. I beg to differ on that fact. Mo, Book is the quarterback. Uh, what are your thoughts about, I mean, really Notre Dame doesn't really have a, 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 a quarterback controversy unless we want to create one, which we, we, we can if we want to. But what are your thoughts about the quarterback situation there at Notre Dame? I mean, I think it's been made pretty obvious that Ian Book is, is the guy uh, you know, when Bush came in <clears throat> that game where he was out and played, you know, really well, but it's been, it's been made known that uh, he is the guy. And I think that you saw this team who was playing a lot of close games, turn around and just pour it on people. And I think the passing ability of, of book really uh, has helped that, you know, I think that's the biggest difference obviously between him and when Bush, I think when Bush might be obviously a little more athletic, but I think just the passing ability of Ian book has just really helped the dynamic of this offense. And it helps your defense be better too. Cause when you're not on the field so long, the defense, uh, you've seen this Notre Dame defense be pretty darn tough this year as well. So I think the change to Ian Book, it's obviously he's a quarterback going forward. There is no quarterback controversy, I believe, at Notre Dame. And with well, the thing, Mo, you look at the situation, I mean, heck, you've got an Ian Book that's completing passes at a 70% rate. There are few quarterbacks in college football that can throw at that efficiency. So the fact that they say, well, there's chinks in the armor, I'd say, again, uh, the stats and the eye test tell a different story. Well, guys, uh, Vegas likes the word book. So we'll see book on Saturday night. Tonight, 8 o'clock, a- a- ABC, I believe, uh, certainly enters the 90th Notre Dame clash with USC. Uh, with a And it's Coach Clay Helton uh, and on a tremendous ranked seventh individually. Passing efficiency, one. 65.5 and number two completion percentage 0.726 with two fewer uh, career starts uh eight 18 year old C number one quarterback jt daniels let's talk about him a little bit before we move on to ohio state and michigan big game big matchup can't wait to talk about it but real quickly let's talk about uh, jt daniels matthew what are your thoughts the fact that they put him under the gun in year one at just out of a, after being a high school junior, I think was a bad move on their part. I think uh, you do more damage to him than help when you do that. And, I mean, unfortunately, when you have as weak a rushing attack as the USC has, it's a rarity for them, and questions on the offensive line, uh, you can really mess up a quarterback's mind on that and have the game speed up on him when really that's not what you want. So I'll be very curious to see how Daniels performs in this game and see how it affects him in the long run because uh, 
the way things are going right now, the dysfunction with this offense uh, it certainly cannot be helping his psyche uh, looking down the road uh, the season ahead. Uh, regardless of whether or not uh, Clay Helton's the coach or they go another route for uh, 2019. Mo, this is the day. This is the day that college football fans love, especially if you're a Big Ten fan. And depending on what side of the fence that you're on, if you're a Wolverine fan or a Buckeye fan, this is it. Battle on the battle, battlegrounds throughout all the records. It doesn't matter. And we're also going to talk a little bit about IU. Uh, Jeff Braun, where does he go? We'll get to that in just a second. Big Ken matchup, rivalry matchup. Such a huge match that one of the schools never refer to the other one as their real name. They just say the school in Ohio State or the school that's playing Michigan. This is big. This is also big from the aspect of what we're looking at into Urban Meyer's legacy there at Ohio State. Is Ohio State Buckeyes uh, going to be searching for a new coach? This is also big for uh, the Michigan Wolverines as they are fighting for a spot in the, in the college football playoffs. It does not get any bigger than this today, Ohio State and Michigan. You're right. And, uh, you know, to listen to the, these delusional Ohio State fans here in Ohio, you know, they feel like the Ohio State still has a road to the college football playoffs. But I don't see that road, even if they beat Michigan today. I don't think Northwestern's a tough enough opponent for them in the Big Ten Championship for them to catapult uh, all these other teams. And you look at this Ohio State team, even if they would beat Michigan today, which I don't think happens, uh, you know, a team like Northwestern is a team, they've, a team like they struggled with this year. You know, they struggled with Maryland. We've seen them struggle with other teams that have the same type of makeup as Northwestern. So even if, if Ohio State would win today, that doesn't guarantee that they win the Big Ten championship. And, again, even doing that, I don't think they have enough to uh, catapult themselves. I, I think Michigan uh, has found their quarterback this year. You know, Jim Harbaugh was looking for a guy that he could mold, a guy that he really liked. And I think he found it this year, and that's the big difference. Uh, you know, this defense has been good for a good number of years. Uh, and this year they've added some more scoring to the defense. But you look at Shea Patterson, and, uh, you know, he, you could tell the nerves in that Notre Dame game. And, uh, you know, that's taking nothing away from Notre Dame, but you could tell that there were some nerves on, on Shea Patterson's part of that game. But as the season's, grown, the season's gone on, he has uh, looked phenomenal. And uh, I think Michigan wins this game today probably by at least 13 points. Matthew, you're up there in Michigan land, close to your Michiana area, if you will. Uh, Certainly you hear hear and get a lot of influence of the Wolverine side of it. What are they talking about? Well, I think right now if you're Ohio State, you need to be, especially their offensive line, you need to control Chase Winovich. If he gets through like he just started doing in the second half against Notre Dame, I think Ohio State could have a long day. But I think looking at Ohio State's situation, uh, you have a loss, a uh, considerable loss to a team that I think is going to end at 5-7 and seven in Purdue and not even make a bowl game. So you have that hurdle to jump. Unless they find a way to absolutely annihilate Michigan and then annihilate Northwest in the Big Ten Championship game, I think a New Year's Six bowl game is as good as it's going to get for Ohio State at this point because that loss to Purdue, and especially considering how Purdue has fallen flat on their face the last two weeks, a poor performance against Minnesota, a poor performance against Wisconsin, I think an equally poor performance where we're going to have another island added to the old oak bucket uh, following their loss to Indiana. Uh, that's too much, I think, for Ohio State even to overcome if they play absolutely flawlessly in their final two games, beating Michigan and then beating Northwestern. I still think that's going to be enough. New Year's six, maybe all they're going to get. Who knows? Uh, the thing to that is that they may not have a no-win situation, possibly draw someone like a UCF uh, in their New Year's Six game. So it's not a situation I'm sure Ohio State fans want to hear, but unfortunately 
when you lose to a team as bad as Purdue is, uh, you just have no way to jump over that, and that's the same thing. I would, I would have been saying the same thing had Purdue or Notre Dame lost to, say, Ball State or Vanderbilt or Pitt. I mean, that's just too big of a hurdle to overcome. I mean, that committee just looks at who you lose to, and that loss just is way too glaring a loss, I think, for Ohio State to overcome at this point in the season. So, you know, Mo, we, I think we all both could have imagined a, both an undefeated Michigan and an undefeated Ohio State. It's kind of a tale of two different things as we look back at what we thought was going to happen at the beginning. We, we certainly thought that these two would be the two best teams in the Big Ten, and maybe they still are. Uh, but certainly we thought we would be looking at a different, more closer picture than the two. Are we looking at an end to Urban Meyer? Because it does seem like, it does feel like Ohio State does not have the effort or that Urban Meyer is just kind of going through, checking off boxes, and, and trying to uh, 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 clock in and clock out, if you will. And it does feel eerily reminiscent of the uh, end uh, of Urban Meyer days at Florida. Uh, there's been a lot of talk here in the Ohio area uh, of Urban Meyer leaving, not just uh, you know, up until a week or two ago where you saw Urban Meyer get so fired up on, on the uh, sidelines. You know, a lot of the Ohio State the guys who write about them and follow them uh, I talked about how he he looked exactly like what you said, Tom, just clocking in and clocking out. Uh, you had in the health problems and, and the issues that have happened this year. I mean, if you look at Evan Meyer just up close in person, uh, to me, he looks like he's aged a ton. He looks like, you know, you remember how young uh, a guy like Barack Obama looked like when he became president, how old he looked when he got done. That's what Evan Meyer looks like. He's aged five or six years just this year alone. You know, there's been a lot of talk in this area of a Urban Meyer protege. Uh, Dan Mullins, who is uh, doing you know pretty a decent job at Florida, could be the next head coach. And there's been a lot of buzz in this area from Ohio State fans uh, about the possibility of John Harbaugh being fired from the Baltimore Ravens and coming to Ohio State. I don't see that happening, but there has been a lot of talk and a lot of concern from Ohio State fans up until this week. The Michigan week, uh, it's all focused on Michigan, but up until this week, there's been a lot of talk that uh, a lot of Ohio State fans and Ohio State insiders believe that this is Urban Meyer's last year. Well, guys, let's get into the biggest game of the uh, of the week, in my opinion, anyway. And that's just my opinion. I go IU, uh, and you might be seeing boiler up rivalry game. Oaken doesn't mean anything but a bowl game. Uh, maybe a possible coaching uh, position change uh, with Jeff Braun uh, in the rumors to talk, him talking about going to Louisville. Uh, if if he uh, if they win and they go on to a bowl game, he may not be doing that. If he if he loses, he might be doing that. Uh, so, and who knows? Uh, as we talked about last week with Rick, uh, USC may come and knock into Jeff Braun. Uh, but certainly, big implications with Purdue and IU. You know, Tom Allen uh, has spent all the time in Indiana talking about a breakthrough. If well, Indiana has failed to break through last season, and the exact same scenario here we are this year. They're in a vacuum, Matthew. Uh, a 10 at a 10 and 14 mark we're looking at some things with iu that maybe uh, we, we wish we weren't looking at but maybe we're looking at a coaching change on both uh, the boilermakers and iu but this is a big rivalry matchup for nothing else and it certainly is a bowl eligible game uh, winner gets a bowl uh the loser goes home matt what are your thoughts Oaken bucket today indiana and purdue I'd say Indiana would be at the same level that Kentucky is in the SEC if they were able to pull out games. And I think they came very close several times. Unfortunately, they haven't been able to grab the brass wing. But I think if you look at the team that's in the worst situation, it's got to be Purdue, like I mentioned. Uh, after the Ohio State game, they have been lost in space. They had a off. They lost 41-10 to to Minnesota. That should have never happened. 
They lost to a mediocre Wisconsin team. Uh, and unfortunately, I think they're going to get uh, absolutely bamboozled in this game. I have uh, Indiana winning this game by at least three scores. Uh, this is a Purdue team that is absolutely fallen on its face the last two weeks. It's like the Ohio State game win, and that's like, okay, that's the end of our season. We're happy. We'll just uh, bilk it in. And, uh, boy, they have looked horrendous the last two weeks. And, unfortunately, even with uh, a player like a Rondale White in the fold, uh, I don't think that's going to be enough. Indiana wins this game handily, I think, today. Uh, Mo, uh, Vegas has three minus four. A win this season, uh, put, a win today would put a bow on this season. Uh, it's been a frustrating time, that, uh, and you know I would certainly point to the fact that uh, uh, the IU coaching staff could work uh, with an imperfect roster, uh, but it just seems like they they they've got themselves in a rut. They can't get out of. Two questions. One, the minus four uh, coverage there. I think you steer away from this, but you're, you're the you're the the professional advice giver on betting. But second of all, if you were to bet on a new coach between IU and Purdue, both of them or one of them, which one? Uh, probably one. You know, it should be both, or probably one. You know, you know, Jeff Louisville's going to throw back up the Brinks truck for Jeff Brom, but. You know, I don't know that that's a lock either because there's been uh, a lot of chatter uh, in NFL circles about Jeff Brom as well. Everybody's looking for the next Sean McVay, a uh, uh, creative, uh, young uh, offensive coach. And, and Jeff Brom could very well, uh, if Lincoln Riley stays at Oklahoma, he could be the, the new anointed favorite uh, from college to move to the NFL. So uh, I don't think it's a lock that uh, he winds up at Louisville. Uh, but I do believe that uh, there is a decent chance he could wind up in the NFL. It should be both teams, but uh, it's probably just going to be Purdue looking for a new head coach. Well, we'll see what happens. We're going to be monitoring that a lot. Certainly, you know, the rumor mills have been uh, circling around uh, Jeff Brom. Uh, and, and also, as we talked about last week, there's a possibility of an opening there at USC. Matthew, let's talk a little bit about that number five position. And right now, it belongs to, to Georgia. But if Ohio State finds win today, and Georgia should beat uh, Georgia Tech. That's another rivalry game, but they should definitely win that game. Does that change the scenario in that number four slot? Well, the question is how Georgia performs against Alabama. I think it's going to be the situation right now because you have a good chance because Oklahoma again survived against West Virginia. Oklahoma goes on and wins the Big 12 championship game, and Georgia then gets blown out in say, to Alabama in the SEC championship game, you could have a scenario, I think, where Oklahoma could jump both of them, Michigan and Georgia, and possibly get all the way to number four and possibly give a lot of uh, thankfulness to Big 12 uh, folks who think that their conference is going to overlook. But uh, I think right now the question is, can Michigan hold serve today, not get embarrassed against Northwestern, and then can the same scenario happened where Georgia easily beats Georgia Tech and then shows a decent performance against Alabama. I think if those two things happen, they got nothing to worry about. But if both of them falter, watch out for Oklahoma. Well, I totally understand that. So well, one, one more final game because we have to talk about them because they're Alabama. They play Auburn. It's going to be a fun game to watch. But, uh, I, I don't, Mo, I don't really know if there's a lot to talk about here uh, because uh, Alabama's going to do what Alabama does. But certainly – Auburn Tigers in Alabama always uh, makes for an interesting matchup. It does always make for an interesting matchup, but uh, the difference this year is to a quarterback. I, I think that he is a difference maker, obviously, uh, for the Alabama team this season, and, and I think that that's what uh, puts them over Auburn. It's a close game, a fun game every year, but uh, I just don't think that Auburn can overcome 
uh, how much the, the Alabama can score, and that's going to be tough for any team because Alabama can pour it on you. So I, I think that's uh, that's going to be a tough task for Auburn today. If the game was in Auburn, I would give them a chance, but the fact that it's in Tuscaloosa, I think Alabama wins this game handily. There's no question, even though it is a rivalry game. Well, we'll see what see what happens there. Matt, you and I have been talking about UK. Uh, Mo, you and I have talked about UK. As you mentioned, yeah, UK hasn't been ranked since God was a, was a kid. UK and Louisville, we're talking about a coaching change there. Uh, how big of a factor is that, Matt? You guys, let's get our thoughts on that on tonight's game. Uh, UK uh, Wildcats with the Louisville uh, Cardinals. I think right now the big question for Kentucky right now is could Terry Wilson get a clue as far as quarterbacking right now because it's clear – that teams are now locking in on stopping Benny Snell Jr. It worked. It back. It worked against them against Georgia. Tennessee did it to perfection. Terry Wilson has got to have a big game, and I'd say right now his best option get his tight end C.J. Conrad involved, and they should have no problems being Louisville. But then you look ahead to the bowl game right now. Uh, can they find a way to get the passing attack going so they can open up some more holes, spread the defense out, and then allow Benny Snell to do some damage? That's something they have not been able to do. Granted, they did it against Middle Tennessee State, but they should have done that last week. But uh, I think the big question is, is can Terry Wilson take some of the pressure off of his running back, Benny Snell Jr., to where those holes open up and then he can start doing some damage? They did that at the start of the season. The last couple of weeks, though, they've had a lot of trouble being able to get that job done. Mo, what are your thoughts, uh, Kentucky and, and Louisville? Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's, uh, you know, uh, 100% my feeling as well. I, I think Louisville uh, obviously has been a terrible team this year. I think Kentucky wins the game. But, you know, I agree with Matthew going forward. They've got to they've make it uh, so that running attack can get going again to a performance they performed earlier in the year. They've been a fun story this year to watch. Uh, hopefully they can keep it going through today and into the bowl game. Matthew, real quickly, get a little bit of a local flavor here in Indiana. It's high school uh, football championship weekend uh, here in Indianapolis. What are your thoughts? How about that four-overtime uh, game in 4A? Uh, you have a game that went completely scoreless between Dwenger and Evansville Central. Eventually, Dwenger pulled the game out. But uh, uh, you look at the games of today, obviously, I think the first game, unfortunately, Pioneers going to win that game in a round. Uh, I look forward to see what they're able to do with the tradition role when they class 2A, that school. And, of course, they have a guy that's going to Notre Dame, so we'll see, you know, after this year if they can still be competitive. Uh, you look ahead down the road, uh, 3A should be an interesting battle with Moors in there. First time they've ever been in class 3A and a chance to win a title after all the 2A titles. And then uh, the big question is, do anyone stop New Palin 5A? Uh, Decatur Central has been very strong, especially knocking out teams like Cathedral and Columbus East, but I think they have their camps full uh, trying to stop the Dragons and that super-powered offense. I thought Michigan City was going to give them a run last week. It didn't happen. And uh, unless Decatur Central uh, surprises us, I think New Palin wins that game going away. So, unfortunately, you look at the three games today, I think you have a scenario where you could have three blowouts and it's unfortunate that it's you have that case with the state finals like that where you hope to have some drama but uh unfortunately i think the drama was yesterday and today we're gonna have a lot of uh, dead holes today where we have teams that uh, just absolutely wallop uh, the other teams well we got to wrap it up and put a bow on it mo for the bs sports show thank you for uh joining us a little bit earlier today and, and accommodating us and you're awesome where can people find your work in your masterpiece sir uh, you can find it on Twitter at Mo Radio Show or on ninety three one The Fan uh, in Lima. In Lima is that is, is that a bean? 
Is that a bean of a town? <laughs> it, it, it is. It, it's kind of. It, it, well, it, it, it's a town. Let's just call that. It's a town. That's what, that's what it is. Well, that's that's my attempt at humor, Matthew. Where can people find your work in, in your masterpiece, sir? Twitter at m a t t m b u r y. And then as far as one quick little IndyCar tack, watch the eyes on Brandon Brandon Hartley. If he is not retained by Toro Rosso, there's one guy named Ricardo Yunkos that would love to have him for next season. So after this year, after this race at Abu Dhabi this weekend, keep an eye on what Brandon Hartley does. If he does not keep his right at Toro Rosso, he could be driving the Yunkos uh, green, white, and uh, orange car in 2019 IndyCar. Well, absolutely. The funny season uh, is underway for sure with IndyCar, and it's getting underway with NASCAR. Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest joins us next with a recap from Homestat. My name is Saul Mark Wazell, President J, 917-889-8516. Digits. Matthew, have yourself a good week, and we'll talk with you guys again soon. We'll be right back right after this. I bet they know as soon as we walk in. I'm wearing Cuban lips, yeah. The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Porklet, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. 
like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. All right, 30 minutes in the books. Thank you to Matthew Embry and Mo uh, for the BS Sports Show. Uh, Matthew, for joining us. Uh, talking some Notre Dame football. We're talking some college football, a little bit of high school uh, football championship from the local level here in Indianapolis. It's a rainy Saturday morning here in Indianapolis. Uh, but, hey, uh, Steve Wilson is in God's country. Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. Steve, it's going to be the last time we talk to you, at least probably till uh, maybe December or January, unless some really big breaking news happens. But happy Thanksgiving to you, sir. Did you have yourself a good turkey day? I did, and now I drove to the mountains for the weekend. So you're, that's like you said, you're in God's country, man. I'm envious. We have no mountains in Indiana. We have really big hills, but we have no mountains. So we have a lot of flat land uh, uh, in Indiana and in Indianapolis, so if, you, if you want to see that. Let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, you were there, Homestead. First of all, how awesome was it to be to be there at that track on that weekend? How awesome was that? Joey Logano uh, pulls out the win. Certainly, Martin Truex Jr. was right behind her. But let's talk about a special season by Joey Logano. Joey's been fighting there for a while. He's due. Uh, congratulations to him. So let's talk about uh, the, the 2018 NASCAR season and the, uh, the uh, win for championship for Joey Logano in Homestead. Uh, I, I actually had a conversation with the track president about the Tuesday before the race, and he uh, he picked Joey Logano to win. He, if you think back, there's been a couple different incidents with Joey Logano at that racetrack, and uh, he 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 said that Joey Logano was going to be the one, the one that was going to win it all. I kind of I kind of shot away from that one. I thought it was going to be Kevin Harvick was going to take it this year, but um, I was wrong. I guess the track president was right. And so Joe Logano, he may not have been the fastest person all year long. He may have not been uh, on the same level of all as uh, Kyle Busch or Kevin Harvick, who won uh, combined for just about half the season. He, uh, you know, but he, he those, that team uh, Sunday night was able to do something that the other teams couldn't figure out how to do, uh, especially Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick. They both started the race. Those boys, those two were probably faster than everybody else in the field. And as soon as the sun fell, it was the it was all pretty much Joey Logano and uh, Martin Truex Jr. Uh, Martin Truex uh, Martin Truex unfortunately just didn't have the long run speed that Joey Logano did. And uh, yeah, Joey Logano brought that thing home uh, Sunday night for for his first championship in the NASCAR uh, Monster Energy Cup Series. You mentioned Kevin Harvick. You and I talked about Kevin Harvick several times on the show. And at the beginning of the season, Kevin Harvick was just win, 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 win. Fast pole, win, fast pole, fastest practice. There was no stopping Kevin Harvick. And then there was stopping Kevin Harvick. What happened? Um, 
I, I, I don't think it was for a lack of effort. I think the, uh, there was just a strong combination of other people that were were in this playoffs. And I think you have to look at the playoff field as a whole and all all of the drivers that competed this year. Um, he he was fast, and I think he he had the abilities to do some other to uh, get some other wins out there. Um, he, it wasn't for a lack of trying, but I think one of the biggest things is, is that kind of derailed them very late in the season is that illegal spoiler that took away their win at, at Texas. Um, I think that just kind of, um, uh, unfortunately that sidelined some things. I think they look, had to look past that. They struggled a bit at Phoenix. Phoenix is a track that Kevin Harvick has gone to, um, and won when he needed to get into the playoffs. Uh, that wasn't necessarily the case in Phoenix. He struggled. They struggled all day long. They had some various issues. At one point, they were about two laps down. They battled back all day long just to barely squeak out a spot in the playoffs over Eric Omarola, their teammate. Um, came into came into Homestead. They They basically said they had handling issues all day long. Um, they practiced. They made changes to the cars, or the car of Kevin Harvick, and uh, it, it, it seemed to run very, very well during the daytime. I, I, I think if that thing would have run been completely under day, we may have had a different story. But um, you know, both him and Hal Bush said as soon as the as soon as the the sun went down and it became dark, it. The handling went away on the car. They just couldn't compete as well. They didn't have the fastest laps as everybody else. Um, so I think there's just a combination of, of of what kind of slowed them down. And I think some of those same things slowed down Kyle Busch at the same time. Uh, I think a lot of us thought that it would be one of those two guys. They they, they won almost half the races this year. Um, Martin Truex Jr. may not uh, definitely wasn't on top of his game like he was in 2017 when he won his championship. And uh, I I, I kind of had Joey Logano kind of as a you know um, you know sideliner that that may that may or may not be able to squeak it out, but he's going to need some help from other people. And I guess he got that help. But back to Kevin Harvick, I mean, I think there's just, honestly, there was just a lot of things going on with that team. Um, and, and it started before the fact of the illegal spoiler, but I think that just really kind of um, put that team into a, it put them so far down. And while Tony Gibson, who took over the career chief and duties for the final two events, um, it, it is a championship-winning crew chief. Um, I, I, I think it was some of these hurdles were just so, too much to overcome. And, you know, without Rodney Trevor's uh, there on the ground. And, um, you know, it's a, it, it was just a multitude of issues, I think. But that just shows mm-hmm. that the competition level in NASCAR right now uh, is probably the best that it's ever been when you've got four almost equally matched race cars and four equally matched drivers that start the race in the way, uh, start the race together and they end the race together. Um, but you know, some of them are battling over or battling adversity and handling problems in the cars and others, um, you know, go on to win the championship. You know, it's the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat at this point, but, uh, uh, there's there was just a combination of things that go, went on late in the season. 
Well, absolutely, and I'll tell you what, it, it, this was a good season. Good to see Joey Logano win. NASCAR ended the 2018 season on a high note, I think, uh, for the fifth time in, in its five-year existence. The champion uh, championship four uh, delivered uh, these champions. Joey Logano, preceded by Martin Truex Jr., uh, Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Busch, and Kevin Harvick. They all became, uh, became cup champs in an undeniable fashion, if you will, uh, by, by winning uh, – when it really counted, we'll put it that way, regardless of where you weigh in on NASCAR and how it de- determines its, its champion and, and so forth, we're getting ready to rock and roll again in February for the uh, Daytona 500, which is the Super Bowl. The NASCAR is the only, uh, the only uh, sport that starts their, uh, their season out with their Super Bowl, if you will. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about some of these drivers. Jimmy Johnson, we, we're going to be talking and looking at him very closely here in the offseason. Uh, the end of the season provides a much-needed break for everyone, but I can't imagine a driver that needs it more than Jimmy Johnson. And, and having bid farewell to the only sponsor and crew chief that he's known during his amazing career let's see how that affects him do you think we'll see an announcement from jimmy johnson this year i think it's imminent i think at some point it's coming uh i think it may be tied to this brand new sponsor where they're on board for the next couple of years uh i know a lot of people have thought that at some point maybe when when Lowe's decides to bail out, that would have been the end of Jimmy Johnson. But they they kind of bailed at an odd time. They didn't do it in the off season, which prepared the team the ability to to make such of an announcement. Um, but I think by them not only um, tying it, so they they potentially are tying it somehow to this ally uh, sponsorship of I think the next two seasons or something like that. Chad Knauss is is leading the team for the first time in uh, about 14 years or something like that. They've been together. Um, I think it's imminent at some point. I think we will see it at at some sooner rather than later. But as far as Jimmy Johnson's year, I think you have to classify it nearly as a total disaster for him. Uh, He never went to victory lane this year. He He never got a pole this year. Uh, they struggled all year long, uh, multiple wrecks at racetracks that they've been traditionally good at. They haven't had the best runs. They barely were in the top ten in, ma- in many of these events, um, m- multiple times lapped down by the end of events. Uh, so for Jimmy Johnson, I think that's that that's a disaster of a year when you look back at over his previous uh, 12 or 14 years. In, in the Cup Series, and I mean, we we've been used to him pulling the the Kevin Harvick Kyle Busch game, you know, win pole, win pole, fast and and practice like you were saying, and we just didn't see that out of him. Um, do I think that Jimmy Johnson is, uh, you know, is that you know uh, any? Do I think that he's a uh, Declining, yes, I think he's declining in a, in a certain aspect, but everybody in sports does at some point in, the, in their career. I think he's at the twilight of his career. I think he's he may have a pole or a win left in him, um, but um, I, I think he's physically fit. I think he can still compete and do, and take on the demands of the race car and the demands of a weekend. It's just you know his 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 abilities inside of the race car are coming to the twilight of his career, unfortunately. 
Let's talk a little bit about Marcus Smith. Really came in his own in 2018. Speedway Motorsports uh, uh, Incorporated President and Chief Operating Officer Marcus Smith has uh, long lived in the shadow of his father, Bruton Smith, the creative entrepreneur who unquestionably helped uh, build NASCAR. Marcus Smith, though, did contribute more this year than he ever has uh, before uh, with, the, with the creation of the Charlotte Motor Speedway Road Course. The whole idea was the concept. And I kind of like it. We, we like the, 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 the part role over and part road course called the Roval. Uh, so like his father, Marcus has distributed, distributed a, I'm sorry, demonstrated, I'll talk, I, I, I only do this for a living, <laughs> a, a long-term commitment to the welfare of the sport. Marcus Smith, 2018, he's uh, certainly uh, come out of his dad's shadow, put it that way. Yeah, Marcus has really stepped out. I think we can now see him as a leader over at SMI. Um, he, he's not only taking this whole road course thing and, and really, I mean, he said, you know, he, he said early on in this whole deal, he took a risk and he had to take a risk to make a change, you know, to counter what the fans have been asking for. And they've been asking for more short tracks. They've been asking for more road courses. So Marcus said he took the risk and he would see where the risk lied at. And I think we can say that it was arguably a pretty pretty well-founded, well-grounded risk that he took. I think the, the buzz behind this whole roval that we saw at Charlotte this year, it, uh, it, it definitely was an opportunity to see something different. I think the fans liked it. The drivers liked it. Uh, you know, sport overall saw this as a departure from their, their normal mile-and-a-half racetracks and uh, uh, other facilities that they've been running at, but as far as Marcus, I mean, he's moving into other areas of the sport at the same time. There's been reports multiple times that, uh, you know, Marcus Marcus tried to to get the lease at Fairground Speedway over in Nashville. Um, he ultimately failed in that effort, but has now come out in the last couple of months that they will be working with the leader with with the leaseholders in. Nashville, uh, and they he's tapped Bristol Motor Speedway staff to help them out bring that facility into the future and to the next level, which includes a potential some type of NASCAR event there. Nobody knows for sure what's going to happen, but for for Marcus to come out and start doing some of these things, it, he's he's showing the brilliance of his dad. He's showing that he can change and evolve to the fan base and what the fan base is asking for. And for him, uh, it's smart business decisions. And it seems like his dad has now, for all intents and purposes, taken the reins off of him and now letting him make the choices, make decisions, and make uh, changes on his own. Well, we saw another uh, son come up through the ranks uh, this this year. In the past couple of years, Chase Elliott, obviously uh, the son of uh, great driver Bill Elliott. Uh, we've seen that, and we, we're seeing a, a young winner, Joey Logano. We're starting to see that new face that we've talked about uh, emerge, if you will, with NASCAR. And a lot of these, because it's a family, these these people grow up a track. There are a few retirement parties to hold it. It seems as if only the, the marquee names get, keep uh, keep adding up when it comes to retirement uh, and get celebrated on a grand scale after announcing uh, their wishes to hang up their helmets. And, you know, we, we, we say goodbye to Matt, Ke- Matt Kenseth, uh, A.J. Allmendinger, Jamie McMurray, 
uh, Casey Kane. Another one that really stands out to me, and I guess that's just because it was personal interaction that I have here at the Texas Motor Speedway, actually covering the the, the Brickyard for um, Speedway Digest. And, you know, the question, I just was simply asked the question about retirement. What makes you make that decision? And he went on to talk about how he's he wants to be a dad, how he wants to be at his kids' ball games, how he wants – he doesn't bring his kids to the track all the time because he thinks they need to have that home life. How he how he he hates being a, a two day a week a day dad and just begin to talk about that and begin to tell the story. Uh, certainly was not planned. It's certainly not boasted here. But I think what we were able to do was was just un un unveil that and uh, then it went on to get on Indianapolis Motor Speedway's. Uh, website and nascar.com a lot of people expanded and did a story piece on his answer to our question to him so we see what are your thoughts on the retirement parties this year oh i i think a few of these drivers in the case of jamie murray and aj allmendegger i don't think we've seen maybe the last of him or them at this time. I see A.J. Armendinger going over and running um, <clears throat> MSA or something like that. Him and Michael Shank, they, they paired together for Rolex Championships. Uh, so I, I, I think A.J. will go back into some form of racing um, as MSA uh, or something like that in the future. And Jimmy McMurray, I don't know what is. His future homeless for him. I don't know, you know, what his uh, long-term plans in the sport are, but um, I, I don't know if he's totally done at this point. I think he he was uh, set aside uh, for for somebody else to take that seat. So um, we'll, we'll just have to see what happens to him. But with the Elliot Sadler thing, Elliot has been in this sport for twenty plus years. Um, he's driven in everything from the cup cars to the Xfinity cars and back and forth again. He's won races in all of these series. Uh, unfortunately, he hasn't won that championship that he's been looking for, but um, he's right. These drivers, they go through, and crews, and everybody on the ground go through an immense amount of travel that, that, that it takes to put these things on. Uh, he, uh, you know, he, he, you see drivers that do bring their kids to the to the track. You see crews that bring their kids to the track. You see others that bring their kids to the track and their families to the track. But, you know, there's this the longest schedule in any professional sports out there. It's 38 weeks long a year. And it, it's almost impossible at some point that, you know, for him and for others, they're missing out on things and they have, they're on the road. And, you know, it, I think it just shows that, you know, he's he's made the decision to to change what he wants to do. do I don't think he's going to totally step away from, from racing in general or sports in general. Elliot Sadler is a guy that went to college on, uh, on a basketball scholarship. Uh, he still plays basketball to this day. Um, he, he coaches, uh, he coaches uh, Little League. He uh you know, they, he's involved in multiple multiple sports at one time. So I don't think, you know, we we may have seen the last of him in a race car, but I don't think we've seen the last of him not only in NASCAR but in the sports world in general um, just because that's, you know, 
you know that that's that's because that's what he's done all his life, and I think we've uh, I, I I think he'll be around at some point somewhere, but you know he's just going to lessen down, uh, you know, be thirty eight weeks per year, and uh, you know all the things that come with it. So for for all the things for all the you know Elliot. Um, he's from my home state of Virginia. The Sadlers here have, um, you know, been involved in racing for, for years and years and years and years. Um, everything from the local racetracks to now in the professional cup series, uh, you know, Xfinity trucks, everything that they've been involved in. Um, I've, uh, I, I don't think we've seen anything, you know, other than Elliot Sadler this year. I think he's probably the biggest name star, uh, that is leaving the sport and probably has, the greatest impact on the sport at this time. Um, but the shifting of the younger crowd that we are seeing with uh, Chase Elliott winning two, two, two races this year, um, competed for a potential championship that got cut short. Uh, I, the, the dynamic shift in NASCAR has already started to occur. Um, the brand names of the the uh, of the yesteryear is, is starting to fall, and we're starting to see new brand names show up, like uh, you know, like Chase or or like Blaney or like Bubba Wallace or you know some of these other drivers that are now beginning to come to the ranks. Well, let's uh, one final point as as we put a dot and a bow on the 2018 season. There's really no way to sugarcoat it, uh, Steve. Uh, uh, the bitterness of uh, NASCAR losing the 2017 championship team owner Barry Visor from the ownership ranks. Uh, it's not that that uh, NASCAR hasn't experienced this before because teams come and go, but never has it has the loss been this great. I, I don't think. Well, the number 78 team has done the past five years was inspiring. We need more team owners uh, that that want healthy teams in the sport. The Colorado franchise was a catalyst, I think, in a lot of ways uh, in, in terms of potentially creating new owners. Uh, but the team shutting down after narrowly missing a, a second consecutive uh, title might create the greatest barrier entry for potential charter investors in terms of perception, if you will. Healthy team ownership is critical to NASCAR. And to me, Steve, and you may disagree with me on this, but I consider it NASCAR's tallest hurdle to clear in the next five years. What are your thoughts? Um, the charters are a bad idea. I've said that they've been a bad idea. They haven't created any more equity in this sport today than when they were created two or three years ago. Um, we've seen more. Um, we've mean, we've seen more owners leave the sport since the charter creation than we probably have in, in any recent year history. Um, <clears throat> the, the charters at the end of the day um, cost pennies on the dollar, relatively speaking, whereas maybe a, a, a furniture a racing 78 charter may be worth a little bit more because of uh, the championship that's tied to it and the money that's tied to it. But in, in recent years or the exchange in recent years of both leasing and selling uh, hasn't come with any high dollar um, that we would see with like a franchise in the NFL or in uh, Major League Baseball or something like that. The other biggest hurdle that NASCAR is going to have to figure out is that the reason why the number 7018 went out of business is because when it costs um, – more money 
in a technical partnership than when you're bringing in with a primary sponsor, then, you know, then teams are going to continue to go uh, out of business. Um, nobody can, you know, nobody nobody can spend $10 million on, on a technical partnership for somebody to build them engines and cars and, and technical time. Um, you know, they, they, it's just, it's unsustainable. NASCAR knows this. The drivers know this. Teams know this. It's nothing that you know NASCAR doesn't know about. I think there will be a shift in the way that the charters are done at some point in the future. I think they are just waiting for this whole uh, five-year track agreement and um, some of the other things that are tied to it. Um, you know, and especially with the way this new. Uh, a partnership or, or sponsorship structure that we'll see in the 2020 season. I think we could see start seeing some changes at that point. But right now, um, the unfortunately, the charters just haven't created the equity that you know they were promised to be. Um, I, I, I think there could be some changes to to fix that. Um, but at the end of the day, um, when we all know that that racing is expensive. It's an expensive sport to to be involved with, but there are some cost cutting measures that could potentially be employed. Um, and uh, I, I think there could be a different way. I think the charters were maybe a good idea in 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 the way that we could find a way to create equity, but the poor overall. Uh, implementation of them have just been, I think, just a poor, poor design. I mean, for example, I mean, I'll just make this point real quick: is that you know the the Wood Brothers, they're from the state of Virginia. They've they've been competing for 70 plus years, and when they didn't receive a charter, and they competed since before NASCAR was even formed. But other teams that had only been competing for two or three or four years received a charter, and some of those teams are were starting park teams. I think that left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth, and, and I think that started off on the wrong foot. And I think again, you know, the the, the implementation was just poor. The idea might have been okay to begin with. But the implementation was just poor, and it still continues to be poor because it's a broken system at this time. Um, and, and until it's fixed, we're going to continue to have this. And I'm not saying that teams wouldn't have closed down, you know, with or without a charter before because they would have. I think they, they we would be facing the same situation beforehand. Uh, I think, but again, there's just a combination of things that when technical alliances cost more than a primary sponsorship. And when the the charters aren't creating the equity in the team as 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 what they would you know as what they were promised to do, it, it the barrier of of entry into NASCAR or into the Cup Series right now is so high, and we want it to be high to some degree, but we don't want it to be so high that billionaire owners like Bernie Visser bail on the sport and 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 walk away. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. 
Steve Wilson, uh, Editor-in-Chief of Speedway Digest, thank you for your insight for the 2018 season. Uh, we appreciate and uh, lean on you, sir. So I, I hope you enjoy your off-season. We're going to do this again uh, coming up in February for the Daytona 500. You have yourself a good off-season. And I, I'm sure you guys are going to continue covering uh, the off-season and the NASCAR funny season, if you will. Where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? You can follow us on Twitter at Speedway Digest and SpeedwayDigest.com. We'll definitely do that. Steve, we appreciate you this year. You enjoy the offseason, and we'll talk again in early February, sir. Thanks a lot. Take care. Talk back to you. All right. Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor. Uh, we uh, draw on in to the 20. 20- NASCAR season. Congratulations to Joey Logano and his win uh, there in Homestead. We do it all over again in Daytona in February. My name is Tom Mark Wazell, Presidente. We'll be back with Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and our official NFL contributor. And yes, we had some football already and we got a turkey hangover and all that's going on. We'll be right back. The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous pork chop down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. All right, welcome back.
back to the balance. One hour in the books. Thank you to Matthew Embry, our official uh, uh, Notre Dame and college football contributor. Mo from the BS Sports Show joined us a little bit earlier today. And uh, Steve Wilson from uh, Speedway Digest uh, putting a recap of the 2018 NASCAR season. Rick Riggin uh, today because Mr. Rick Riggin uh, slept in, overslept, whatever you want to say. And we are going to publicly shame him, Ed now you can Ed Kratz with uh, the NFL, our official NFL contributor uh, and beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles uh, with Sports Exchange, www.footballmaven.io slash Eagles. Happy Turkey Weekend to you, sir. How are you? Hey, uh, great. Happy Turkey Weekend to you, too, Tom. What, what does Rick do all week to deserve all, you know, to oh, earn all this uh, sleeping in? I, mean, I don't know what he did. He said he'd go to bed till 3 a.m. last night. I can only guess. I can only guess. He uh, he uh, he sent me a text when we were finishing up college football talk with some expletives that I can't say, but they begin with S and end with T and begin with F and end with K, and uh, he, okay. I, he he was really drama queened out that he overslept. So we'll, we'll we'll give him we'll give him a break. And now now I said we'll go ahead and call in for some NFL talk. Oh, I got a sinus headache. That's not a, a sinus headache. That's a beer headache, uh, Rick. So we'll, he's falling we'll, uh, apart. He's that guy's falling apart. I'll tell you. I am too. Fifty years old and man, <laughs> I got I got my I got my photo shoot on Monday there, uh, uh, and so tomorrow is a really Sunday fun day. I'm gonna watch football like I never have before. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we'll good. see. We'll see how that goes. Well, let's uh, talk about some breaking news. Mike Dick in the hospital after a heart attack. Uh, certainly, uh, Mike Dick, a very well-known coach and and. Uh, commentator for uh, NFL, and uh, what do we know about Mike Dicka? Um, is he doing all right? Have we heard anything new? Or? Well, I mean, I haven't heard anything new. I mean, uh, you know, I guess it's just kind of a wait and see at, at this point, right? Uh, I think it happened down in Florida. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think he's 79 years old now. Is that does that sound about right? I mean, it's a little, that sounds little right. I, yeah, it sounds right. Yeah. But. And, and 79 sounds younger and younger the older and older we get. Um, but, <laughs> no, doesn't it? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't I don't know any. I don't have any updates on him. I know I don't know. It could be touch and go. But uh, you know, it's just it, it, just too young to have that kind of thing happen to him. But. Uh, you know, we'll see. Hopefully, uh, you know, I know Bob McNair, the Texans owner, uh, was 81 and he passed away. So you, you hope, uh, you know, Ditka can, can uh, overcome what, what happened to him. Well, we'll get into uh, some uh, games from Thursday here in a minute. A lot to talk about those games and then certainly going into this week. But the, the the Eagles did not collect any beads in New Orleans this this week. Uh, uh, they they uh, no. they weren't they weren't enjoying the French Quarter, if you will. Uh, in fact, they might be the ones saying, "Who dat?" Uh, I mean, first of all, we got we got to give credit to the New Orleans Saints. They probably are on their way to a Super Bowl. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out uh, between the between the Saints and, and, and Rams and, and and you know some really good teams. We'll talk about that really good Monday night game here in just a moment, a, a history making game. But really, is the reality, and, and we, we've said it three or four times. I hate to keep beating a dead horse here because it's like, yeah, hey, we know we're suffering the Super Bowl hangup. You know, over. You don't got to keep telling us. It seems like, man, that was that was 
that that was not a game you guys want to revisit at all uh, with with the Saints and the Eagles. What happened? Well, and, and you're right. The concern is, you know, and yeah, you can talk about the Super Bowl hangover and all this stuff and the injuries. Certainly, the, the you know the Eagles haven't really been healthy all year. You know, they didn't get Carson Wentz back until week three, which is the same game they lost their uh, safety, Rodney McLeod. And, you know, against the Giants on Sunday, they're going to play with three cornerbacks who weren't even on the roster three weeks ago. Uh, they've got five guys in their secondary uh, that are hurt and won't play. So, uh, you know, you can make all those excuses you want, but when they went to New Orleans, they just showed so little fight and so little effort. You know, the inability for them to score points. I mean, even though the Saints got uh, – they, they kind of hammered the Falcons uh, on Thanksgiving night. You know, that game was out of hand, and the Falcons scored a couple uh, touchdowns late to, you know, make it look a little closer than it was. But, but the Eagles couldn't even do that. You know, to score only seven points against a defense that was giving up 26 points a game is just, you know, inexcusable. Uh, and, you know, Malcolm Jenkins even talked this week about how uh, you know, if you're going to get blown out, you either go down swinging or you lay down. And he said, I think we saw a little bit of both. Uh, so, you know, he was kind of insinuating that some of the guys quit. And he also was saying that some of these guys that are filling in for the injured players just aren't ready to play in terms of they're not preparing properly. Um, so, you know, it goes a lot deeper than just a Super Bowl hangover. Uh, and the Eagles have some real issues. And, you know, Carson Wentz had a three-interception game in the Orleans. That was only the second one of his career. His last one was in – uh, Cincinnati against the Bengals back in his rookie year in December of 2016. He threw three picks in an 18-point loss to the uh, Bengals. That was his second one on uh, Sunday against the Saints. So, you know, they've got some issues. They, they haven't figured out a way to use Golden Tate. They have too many guys with similar skill sets. You know, Dallas Goddard, the, the rookie tight end, was having a pretty good year uh, up until they acquired Tate, and now he hardly gets on the field. So uh, the Eagles are struggling to integrate Tate. They can't figure out how to get this offense to score more than, you know, a couple touchdowns a game. They've only scored 21 points in the fourth quarter uh, in the 10 games that they played this year. So that's just not good enough. And, um, you know, I, I, everybody says, oh, well, they can still win the NFC East. And they can. You know, the NFC East, the leader has six wins, which is the lowest win total of any leader in any division in the NFL. But, uh, you know, unless the Eagles figure out a way to fix all these issues and find a way to get these young kids to play in the secondary, uh, this season doesn't show any hope of turning around. You didn't know that the uh, Super Bowl was on Monday nights. Uh, it is. I think we saw the Super Bowl on, yeah. on Monday. Certainly a monumental historical game, uh, and, and maybe not the, 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 the result that you want to be at, but the Kansas City Chiefs and the L.A. Rams, man, that was a game. That was a game. That was a game. And for the first time in the history of the NFL, a team scores more than 50 points to lose the game. And a high-scoring game, high-drama game, you got to love, and we talked about this last week. We both like the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, but you also got to give props to uh, to the Rams and Jared Goff, and they figured it out this year. And they could very well be in a, a, a preview of a Super Bowl. Uh, it would not surprise me if that's the case. Could be. It very, it very well could be. Those two teams could meet in Atlanta in February. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you love points, that was the game to watch it. Uh, you know, some people are saying, oh, it looks like arena football, you know, where those scores are played into the 60s and 50s. And, uh, you know, I, I like offense, you know, I, and the league has done everything it can to promote offense with the rule changes and whatnot. And, 
Uh, you're right, Sean McVay and the Rams certainly have it figured out. It didn't hurt that they went through a lot of money at a lot of people this year, uh, kind of built that so-called dream team up, and they have, uh, you know, some good players on offense. But, look, uh, you know, 50, to give up 51 points if you're the Rams' defense, you're going to have to do better than that. You can't count on your offense to put up 54 points every game. Um, I mean, even the Saints who are able to score, you know, almost 40 points a game now, their, their defense at least holds teams to 26 points. Uh, a game, which, uh, you know, uh, is usually a winning formula. But, uh, you know, I like to see a little defense, too. And, yeah, it was fun to watch. And I know the Rams made some nice plays late against Patrick Mahomes to intercept a couple passes to kind of keep the Chiefs from coming back. But, uh, you know, if we see another matchup with these two teams in the Super Bowl, that'd be okay. Uh, I would definitely take the over, whatever the the total number of points is. but, you know, they have to go through the Saints, it looks like. The Saints so far have home field advantage. The Rams have already been there and lost in the Superdome. Tough environment to play in. So, uh, you know, it could be a Super Bowl matchup, but, you know, I think the Saints are going to have something to say about that. The Rams were my pick at the start of the year to win the Super Bowl, uh, I want you to know. But it was over the Jaguars, and the Jaguars, of course, aren't holding up their end of the deal. Um, Take but, uh, Yeah, the Rams certainly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, you know, the Colts are right in there, but I'm sure we'll talk about that. But, yeah, the Chiefs yes. for sure – uh, they could be the AFC rep, no doubt about it. Uh, but, you know, again, Tom Brady and the Patriots are going to have something to say about that. At Mitchell Trubisky and the Chicago Bears going to Detroit, play the traditional Thanksgiving Day game, which, I, by the way, I like at the very beginning. I'm going to digress here in just a moment. At the very beginning, uh, I don't know if you saw the, the opening of the, the, the opening piece with uh, CBS and their NFL. They, Jim Rohn comes on, breaking news. Barry Sanders comes back for one day. Uh, it was a dream sequence. Did you see that? No, I, I did. I, that was on Oh, well, that was why I texted you. I was like, Barry Sanders is back. Yeah. And uh, so Rick missed it, too. But anyway, I thought it was great. Now, Barry Sanders was dreaming. <laughs> well, they, they, he was in some office asleep, and um, they, he was talking about, yeah, I'm back. I'm going to play today. This one game, it means nothing more than a play on Thanksgiving. And you, and you, you, don't really, you would think something like that would have been more known. But it was like he was all padded up and ready to go. And then uh, you see a knock on the door that says, Barry, Barry, wake up. Oh, and he's all <laughs> wiping roll off his face. <laughs> so it was yeah. good. But the, but, but, but the Lions choked. I mean, let's, let, let's just call a spade a spade a spade. The, the Lions had that game won, and they choked, and they allowed the Bears to come in on Thanksgiving Day and embarrass them. Unfortunately, it's something that they're very used to on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't really play well on Thanksgiving Day unless you know you're Chip Kelly and you come through there a couple of years ago and they blew out Chip Kelly's Eagles uh, putting up 45 on them a couple of years ago. I remember yeah. I was there uh, yeah. on Thanksgiving, but yeah, they they don't have a whole lot of luck and you know you know the Bears important game for them. You know they're right there. I mean, who picked the Bears to uh, win that uh, NFC North? I mean, they're really they're eight and three now. Um, so, you know, the Lions just kind of showed while they're just an also ran in that division and the Bears went out and took that win away. Well, absolutely. And, and, and the thing about it is, uh, I, I, Patricia, you, you always want to say, hey, give the new coach, give the new coach a break. But the, is Matt Patricia, is, should he be back on the defensive line as a coordinator somewhere? Should he really be coaching the Lions? Well, you know, you have to give them obviously more than one year, and and I'm sure that the owner will do that. Um, but but you know, considering where the Lions came from, I mean, they were you know they 
you know, Rick would know better if he didn't have this sinus headache of his. Exactly. But, yeah, so, you know, uh, Jim Schwartz, when he took over, you know, and he's a defensive coordinator in Philly, when he took over the Lions, they were coming off an 0-16 season, and it took him a little time to turn them around, and he did. Um, Patricia, though, took over a team that was kind of at the top already. Now, he was picked to kind of get them over the hump. But uh, it looks like he's kind of tearing it down and trying to rebuild it. So uh, I'm not sure you can say right now that he's not the answer. I think you have to give him another year, uh, you know, another draft class, another free agency to see what he can do uh, to make that team better. But uh, right now I think it's going to be a short lease on Patricia. Uh, and, we'll, and we'll see where they go from here. But right now he, you know, he's struggling, there's no doubt. If you look at all the head coaches that were hired in the offseason – uh, you know, Gruden obviously is not doing so hot in Oakland either, but he's, you know, he's got the big contract. He's not going anywhere. But, you know, right now it looks like Frank Reich might be the best hire of the new coaches, unless I'm missing somebody. But, you know, he's got the Colts right where you want to be at this time of year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and I'm excited to see what's going to happen with the Dolphins. You think that that would be a game they can win. Before we get to that, Colt McCoy uh, is being compared to Nick Foles. Maybe, that's, uh, maybe it's a good comparison. Maybe it's not. Colt McCoy certainly has not won a, a Super Bowl for the, for the Redskins. But certainly with Alex Smith going down in that horrendous uh, uh, leg break, I mean, you wonder if he'll ever come back. But he's not going to be back. Uh, anytime soon. So this is Colt McCoy's team, and wow, I, I was just like, man, it's weird seeing Colt McCoy back on the on the field. But he's getting a lot of comparisons uh, to to Nick Foles. So what are your thoughts, Colt McCoy, and 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 the Redskins against uh, Dallas? Um, obviously, they didn't get the win. The Cowboys are are, are 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 figuring out ways to win games. That's for sure. As much as we as we hate to say that, especially if you like the Eagles, but the Redskins, Colt McCoy. You got you got to be okay with your backup quarterback. Yeah, you know, like you said, he hasn't played, uh, you know, in quite a while. And he came out and did some decent things. Um, you know, if you're the Redskins and you're John Gruden, you just or uh, Jay Gruden, you just hope that, uh, uh, you know, as each week goes by, you give him a little bit more of the playbook. He can digest it, and you can do a little bit more, and he gets a little more comfortable. Uh, and maybe you can win some games. I mean, they're tied for first place with the Cowboys right now in the NFC East, so they're not out of it by any means. Uh, they come to Philadelphia on a Monday night game a week from Monday. Uh, that's their next game, and, you know, who knows what condition the Eagles will be in at that point, uh, depending on how they do against the Giants on Sunday. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't quite be able to compare him to Nick Foles at this point. I know last year – you know, Foles got kind of shoved into the fire there in week 13 when, when uh, Wentz went down. And, you know, he kind of struggled. Uh, you know, he won uh, his two games, his two starts that he made. And then that third game was against the Cowboys. And, you know, that was meaningless. So he only played a, a series or two. Uh, and then he had the bye in the playoffs and then was able to do some things, uh, you know, to help the Eagles win the Super Bowl. So, I'm not ready to compare McCoy to Foles yet. It's still way too early for that. But, you, you know, the Redskins can hope that he can develop as the next, you know, week, two, three, four weeks go on. Uh, and the Redskins can find a way to win and get in the playoffs. If not, uh, you know, they already have six wins. If they win two more, they're kind of in no man's land to draft a quarterback next year. That injury to Alex Smith was pretty darn gruesome. And, you know, Alex yes. Smith is on the other side of 30 now, so you don't know. Uh, you know, if he'll be able to come back from that. But if not, you're going to have to go out uh, and you're going to have to find a quarterback in the draft. So, 
Uh, it doesn't bode well that the backup for the Redskins is Mark Sanchez. I, I mean, come <laughs> on. I, <laughs> that quarterback situation is not good. So the Redskins better hope that Colt McCoy is the next Nick Foles. Well, and, and, and you're right. And the thing about when you're getting this time of year, either either be great or be bad. Don't be mediocre, because especially when you are going to be in a situation that you need to draft somebody. Well, the the plot plot fizz fizz uh, Pepto Bismol uh, for the Super Bowl hangover might be exactly what the Eagles need with the Giants. What are your thoughts? Well, the Giants are playing pretty good. Uh, you know, they've won two in a row. Eli Manning torched the Tampa Bay secondary last week, uh, put up 38 points in, the, in that three-point win down there in Tampa. And now they come to town, and they're, they're feeling pretty good about themselves. And the Eagles, you know, you just don't know. And like I mentioned earlier, their secondary, they have three cornerbacks that are going to play extended snaps who weren't even on this team uh, three weeks ago. I mean, that's how bad it is. For the Eagles. The only constant back there is Malcolm Jenkins. So uh, to me, it looks like Odell Beckham could have a field day. Evan Engram, the tight end, could be, you know, he could be open underneath the whole game while Odell stretching the field. And then you still have Saquon Barkley, who when the Eagles went up there back in October, he ran for 130 yards and had another 99 yards in pass catches. So, you know, they're, they're going to be a handful to defend uh, against a defense that really has gone backwards, especially in the run game. They gave up 173 yards to the Saints on the ground. They gave up uh, 151 to Zeke Elliott of the Cowboys the week before. So they're a defense that has regressed. I know injuries have played a part of it, but, you know, this could be, uh, you know, the Eagles, if they don't figure out how to score points, you know, the Giants can come in here and win by two touchdowns. I, I don't see that happening. I think it'll go down to the wire. But, uh, you know, I, I think the Giants are going to find a way to win this game. I mean, the Eagles, to me, are just kind of a mess right now. Uh, they don't know what they are. They don't know how to figure out how to get Golden Tate involved on the offense. Um, Carson Wentz is really pressing because they don't have much of a ground game. Uh, you know, they lost Jay Ajayi early in the season. They let Garrett Blunt walk off to Detroit. So, you know, their ground game has kind of been non-existent, and now Carson Wentz is pressing. The defense has regressed. I just don't see how they put it all back together in a week's time. Well, you mentioned the Colts and the Dolphins uh, tomorrow afternoon. Obviously, big AFC, AFC uh, play, uh, not playoff, it might be playoff, but a- a- AFC uh, a matchup on Monday night, the Texans and the Titans. Uh, certainly, the, the, the Colts took care of, of the Titans. You saw two different Titans show up. Fortunately for the Colts, we saw the bad uh, Titans show up, uh, but they've got, they got the Texans. But uh, the, the, the Colts are home against the Dolphins. They could check off another box. Unfortunately, I think the Texans will beat the Titans. That's great. Uh, but I also am not sure that the Bills can beat Jacksonville. So we look at this AFC South because that's uh, my home. That's where I hang out at, and that's where my Colts are at. Let's talk about that. What are your thoughts? AFC South Texans seem to, to have a, a firm grasp on it. But as you mentioned, Frank Reich has our Indianapolis Colts exactly where they need to be at. Yeah, I mean, getting better as the season goes into November and December, which is, you know, where you have to win to get into the playoffs. And, you know, he's doing that. Um, you know, and I, I, I wouldn't worry about the Jags and the Bills. I mean, to me, the Jaguars, I think they kind of lost any hope that they had of maybe making a splash in the AFC South with that when they blew that 16-point lead to the Steelers last week. I mean, that was just un- unforgivable. So, you know, yeah, they might beat the Bills, but I don't think the Jags are a threat long-term. So you look at the other three teams. The Texans have a two-game lead. 
I think it is over the Colts and the Titans and, and the Titans and Texans play on Monday night. So, uh, and I believe that game's in Houston. So you're right. You don't know what the Titans are each week. They're just a different, uh, you know, a different collection of, of players. Uh, you know, they beat the Patriots, they clobbered the Patriots and then they turn around and, and, and get torched by the Colts. So, you know, you don't know what to make of the Titans. So you're right. The Texans will probably win that game and get their, get their eighth win. So who's going to keep pace? The Colts, I say so. I think against the Dolphins, I like that matchup. You know, what Frank Reich has done with Andrew Luck, I know he's healthy, but I think Andrew Luck has a long streak where he has not been sacked over 200 snaps, which is, uh, I think, the second longest streak of not being sacked since 1991. Uh, so what the Colts did in the offseason by beefing up that offensive line, you know, the last couple of years, really, uh, adding pieces to that offensive line is now paying dividends, but you know, Reich is letting uh, Luck get rid of the ball quickly too. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a get the ball out quick offense, and uh, that helps Frank Reich too. And they develop the running game to take some of the pressure off the passing game. I mean, that, that's the ticket to winning right there. Uh, and that defense, it's, it's not overwhelming anybody. Uh, it's still giving up more points than it probably should, but it's a young defense. And a young defense, if you have good players in place, is naturally going to get better and better. So. You know, I think against the Dolphins team, I know they're getting uh, Tannehill back after, a, you know, a month or so. He's been out. Um, we'll see what kind of effect that has uh, for the Dolphins. But they, I don't think they can get after the passer at all. So Andrew Luck could probably have some free reign back there to kind of pick apart this Dolphins secondary. And I think the, I think the Colts will win by, you know, a pretty comfortable margin, kind of like uh, they did against the Titans. So that will give them six wins. Uh, and they're right there behind the Texans, and they're right in the thick of the wild card race with, uh, you know, a month left to go in the season. So it's an exciting time to be, you know, a Colts fan in Indianapolis. Oh, it, it most definitely is, and, and so certainly uh, keeping our, our fingers crossed. It's also it was nice for the Colts to get in a, in a position or, a, or a, a, a spot, if you will, a comfortable spot where they could pull Andrew Luck out and put Jacoby Brissett in at the end of that game. And, you know, Jacoby Brissett is not a bad backup if you've got to have a backup. Uh, he's no Nick Foles, uh, but uh, certainly uh, he's, he's, a, he's a good, solid uh, QB, too. And so whenever you could pull uh, a guy like Andrew Luck out, let him get some rust it's always it's always a good thing so uh we we will we will uh see what happens the packers are struggling they're hurting uh they got the vikings i, I believe it the vikings let me double check that but i think it is the vikings that's correct yeah sunday night game um packers vikings what are your thoughts yeah you're right the packers are hurting and mike mccarthy you've seen i won the hot seat here the you know i i don't think it's must win time yet for Either of these teams, um, even though the Bears are kind of running away with that NFC North with eight wins, and the Vikings have five, the Packers have four. So this game means a whole lot to the Packers. And, uh, you know, should they get it, you know, you're really going to have a jumble for that wild card. Uh, the Vikings, I believe it's in Minnesota, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, that should be to the Vikings' benefit. Um you know, I think the Vikings will, will probably win this game. I think it's going to be close. It's going to be an NFC North battle. Um, but don't count out Aaron Rodgers. But to me, you know, Aaron Rodgers is kind of a one-man show. I know he's got Devontae Adams, doesn't have much of a run game. That defense has been kind of picked apart at times. Uh, it's an aging defense. So, you know, to me, you can't win with just your quarterback against a quality team like the Vikings. So I think the Vikings will find a way uh, to win this game. Well, I, well, absolutely, and and I totally lost my place. 
because I try to stay two steps up. Oh, the other game I wanted to talk with you about was the Browns and the Bengals, uh, an Ohio matchup, if, if you will. Uh, but where, where are we at with the Browns? Because, uh, you know, Condoleezza Rice um, was going to be the coach. <laughs> that went crazy viral. But I guess it was a real thing. I guess they were really talking. And maybe we make jokes about it, but she's very, very smart, and she probably could do a very good job. You wouldn't think that, that she would, based on her resume, uh, Secretary of State, uh, you know, in other, in, in other high-profile jobs. Oh, and uh, coach, head coach of the Browns. Got a lot of fun out of it, uh, but uh, the Browns and the Bengals. Yeah, uh, I mean, that Condoleezza, I don't know where that came from, how it threw any legs at all, but uh, look, I would like to see, and I think I texted you this when we were having fun with the Condoleezza Rice talk was, you know, I'd like to see some women maybe uh, land some assistant coaching uh, jobs in the NFL, kind of, you know, work their way up maybe to be a coordinator or something. I think that'd be kind of cool. You know, we see it in San Antonio with Popovich, uh, the San Antonio Spurs in the NBA. Uh, he has a, a woman assistant. So, you know, I'd like to see the NFL do that. They talk about playing all these games out of country to keep their product viable. You know, they play in London, they wanted to play in Mexico and, of course, that didn't work out. They had to move that game, but I think they're going to go back there next year. So, you know, why not? Why not make that next step? Maybe bring some women in at entry-level positions and, and teach them the game. I, you know, Rice, she doesn't know much about the NFL, the inner workings of it. I mean, she sees it on television, and, you know, maybe she knows some coaches and players she talks to, but she was not qualified to be the head coach. But you can groom people to become a head coach, you know, a, a woman. Uh-huh. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think that should be kind of a mandate to bring on some women at the lower levels and, you know, groom them and keep promoting them. So, But we'll see. Uh, as far as the game goes, though, I mean, you know, the Battle of Ohio in Cincinnati, the Bengals, they got off to a really hot start, but uh, they've come back to earth a little bit. And I think they're 500, right? Five and five, I think their record is. And, mm-hmm. you know, their defense is – ranked last in the league and somehow Marvin Lewis still has a job. Uh, you know, he hired Hugh Jackson. So Hugh Jackson will be on the sidelines for the Bengals against this former team that he just was the head coach of a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, so that's kind of an intriguing uh, plot. Uh, and the Browns, you know, they've done some good things, obviously uh, with Freddie Kitchens coming in as the offensive coordinator Greg Williams being promoted to an interim head coach, you know, but you still have to keep developing Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb. You know, they're all rookie backfield. Um, But I think Nick Chubb, you know, he should get a lot of carries against his Bengals defense, which I said is last in the league. They can't, excuse me, they can't really stop the run that well. Um, So, you know, the Browns, they they can make this an interesting game. They could win this game. Um, But, you know, the Bengals, I think it might be a little bit too much, but you know, what do I know? I've picked against the Browns. I think a lot this year. So, uh, you know, I, I, I do like the Browns. I think I like, I like that rookie backfield, but you need a coach that can develop them. You know, Freddie kitchens, I think has done a pretty good job as an offensive coordinator, um, you know, allowing a team to score some points. But again, your head coach situation, it's kind of a lame duck situation, which doesn't bode well. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I I guess I'll go with the Browns in this game. I, they might find a way to win in Cincinnati. To me, I don't know how Marvin Lewis still has a job. Both these teams could be looking for a new head coach in the offseason. Well, I could tell you who's not going to be looking for a new coach, uh, and that's the New England Patriots. Unless Bill, I mean, Bill Parcells. <laughs> Bill Belichick. 
<laughs> Whoo! That's a blast from the past. Uh, Bill Belichick uh, <laughs> decides that he that he wants to uh, call it quits. But uh, you got the the Patriots and the Jets. I don't know. If there's a lot to talk about, but it is the Patriots, and we do like to talk about the Patriots. Not really, but the Patriots and the Jets. What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, yeah, the Patriots might not be looking for a coach, but the Jets very well could be. Todd Bowles. Uh, you know, it's had a few years here, hasn't gotten it done. They, you know, they have a quarterback that they need to develop, Sam Darnold. So why would you go with a defensive guy as your head coach, bring in a, an offensive-minded head coach, let him bring in a nice coordinator, uh, and, and build around Darnold? That's why they drafted him, uh, what, second overall um, or third overall? What I can't remember. But, you know, top five. So, you know, to me, Todd Bowles could be on the unemployment line for the Jets. And I guess all the drama, if you want to call it that, was Will Brady play. He's had some illness. He's listed as questionable for the game. He's had the knee uh, issue, but uh, he'll play. Patriots will win, as they always do. Belichick, if he decides to retire, then they will be looking for a coach. But if not, you know, Belichick, and you know, I expect them to get very healthy again today against the Jets and start building up toward uh, another push to the Super Bowl. Well, joining us now also, Matt Hicks, a local radio personality, uh, joining us to talk to us a little bit about the Colts. Uh, Ed, are you going to stick around for a few? I can, I can stay for another five minutes, Tom. Okay, sounds good. Uh, Matt Hicks, uh, 1070 The Fan, sort of a freelance uh, local radio personality. <laughs> Matt, I know I appreciate you calling in. I know you've got the call on the 1A. It's a high school uh, high school football championship weekend down at Lucas Oil uh, th- this weekend. I, I think it's if and and I could be totally wrong on this, but I think it's Pioneer versus a North Vermilion. I, I know Pioneer is 14 and 0, but I think you've got the call on that game today as well, don't you? Yeah, I'll be uh, patrolling the sidelines and trying to dig up <laughs> extra, extra juicy stories. And what on paper looks to be, to be honest, looks to be a little bit of a stinker. But you just don't know sometimes. And, and North Vermilion, I talked to their coach on Monday, and their attitude is great. I mean, they know this is an uphill battle. But their attitude is, why not us? Why not today? So uh, they've got the right attitude in this. Pioneer, if, if your listeners aren't familiar uh, Northern Indiana, north of Logansport, Royal Center, Indiana. This little run they're on is amazing. They won last year. They're, it's This year has almost been like a coronation for them. And they may be arguably one of the greatest 1A football teams uh, of all time, this, this current group. Jack Kaiser, their quarterback, is going to go to Notre Dame and play linebacker. So this is a, this is a great group. And uh, it, it should be should be an impressive uh thing to watch today and who knows a game might just break out too i'm not ruling that possibility out well i uh, appreciate you joining us uh, also joining us is ed kratz our official nfl contributor obviously matt as you know we're a national show but it's always good to talk about local high school football you can never you, you never get enough of high school football because that's kind of where it all it all starts and so i i hope you have a good call on that game but you know you mentioned the attitude why not us why not now that's the attitude the colts have right now and and frank reich and, and ed, ed kratz and i were just talking uh, i mean not Frank was not on, but Ed Kratz and I were talking about Frank Reich uh, having the Colts exactly where they where they want to be at. And I'll, I'll use your your words. Uh, why not us? Why not now? What are your thoughts? The Dolphins and the Colts uh, tomorrow. I know that uh, uh, the flagship uh, for the Colts Radio Network is uh, 1070 The Fan, uh, which is kind of your backyard. Uh, but uh, the the Colts and the Dolphins. What are your thoughts, sir? Well. 
Colts and Dolphins is an interesting game to me. Ryan Tannehill, it looks like, is going to play. Um, been battling injuries now, really, for the better part of two years. Uh, so you, you have to feel for him a bit. But this Dolphins team, you know, it's like one of those things we just talked about on paper. This Dolphins team on paper should be better than they are. And I think, you know, I think Vegas likes the Colts by eight or seven and a half, depending on where you shop. Um, I don't think, unlike last week, which, uh, you know, I know you and I didn't talk, but I I was telling anybody to listen. I thought last week had a chance to be a blowout. And it turned out to be pretty much a blowout. This is, I think, a very close game. Um, Two teams going, yes, in different directions. But here's where I – I find it very difficult. Maybe Ed would agree with me. When you're essentially eliminating someone from the playoffs, that is a tough game. And I and I really the loser of this game is, for all intents and purposes, eliminated. The Colts still have a bit of a division hope if they lose this game. But from a wild card standpoint, this is almost a must win for both teams. And when you get in that situation. Um, it becomes very difficult to win the game. So I, I see this as a three or four point game. Maybe I'm, maybe I'll be proven wrong tomorrow. But I think this is a this is a real close one in my book. And, and Ed, I know you said you only had a few more minutes, so we'll, we'll kind of give you the final word with Matt here. Uh, any, not with Matt. Matt can stick around a little bit, but I wanted to make sure that you were able to chime in. Uh, any thoughts uh, for Matt? Uh, certainly Matt is a local radio uh, personality here in Indianapolis and has been around for a long time. If you live in the Indianapolis market, you know Matt, Matt Hicks very, very well. But uh, go ahead, uh, Ed. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I love high school football. You know, I still try to get out to games on Friday nights in the area. Uh, to watch high school and uh, you know Thanksgiving Day games here in Pennsylvania are still very very big Um, you know the state playoffs has kind of taken away some of those rivalries but there are some that still exist and you know there's a big one right in my backyard in my school district they had the 89th edition of it on Thanksgiving Day uh, Thanksgiving morning Um, and and it was great you know those games attract 7,000 8,000 fans people show up it's at 10 in the morning uh, this past Thursday, it was freezing cold here, but fans turned out <laughs> anyway. And then, uh, you know, so I love, I love high school football. In fact, last night, Friday night, there was a, uh, there was a, the, the, the big district championship game in the, in the big school division here uh, against an undefeated team and another undefeated team. And that was a good close game. And, uh, one of the teams has a kid a running back going to Michigan state on it, uh, real fast. They, they have a quarterback who's uh, going to Georgia so, I mean, you know, there's a lot of talent in Pennsylvania. So I love going out to a high school football game on a Friday night. Uh, and, and, you know, it doesn't even really matter if the team is any good or not. I just like watching, the, you know, kids compete, may never play football again uh, once they leave high school. So I, I'm a big fan of high school football. I love it. Uh, I think it's great that Matt covers it. Uh, you know, the championship game in Lucas Oil Stadium for these kids is a huge thrill, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, just enjoy. I mean, I, you know, I, I wish there was a high school game in the area today to go to. I'll probably end up watching, uh, Michigan and Ohio state here in a little while. Oh, that's gonna That's going to be a bar burner. But, uh, Matt, yeah. uh, real quickly, you know, we got the Oaken bucket, uh, big game between IU and Purdue. It's a bowl eligible game. Winner gets to, to a bowl, uh, going back to the local flavor, Matt, I appreciate you, you indulging us a, a little bit on, on the local flavor here, but IU and Indiana, we also want to talk about the rumor about Jeff Braun going to, to Louisville. And also, uh, let's not rule out that USC might be looking for a coach as well, might come knocking. What are your thoughts, IU-Purdue uh, today? Big game, uh, Oak and Bucket, go IU. But what are your thoughts, sir? Well, it's a, it's a huge game. And, and, you know, 
I, you know, I think these are another, you know, we talk about evenly matched teams. I, I think these are relatively evenly matched teams. The Indiana defense is, is better than it's been in years past. A um, little bit of a resurgent running game. I mean, they just had – Indiana's had just a bevy of problems at running back this season. Injury, uh, suspension, dismissal. Um, uh, and then they, they have the running back emerge the last couple of weeks, and they've, they've got a nice little running game again. Uh, Purdue, obviously, with the wide receiver position is just – you know, it's just a, an amazing uh, spot for them. Uh, it's a good game. I, you know, I, I think you always – in this rivalry to give the edge to the home team, and I do that today. I think I think Indiana wins a close one, but boy, you talk about coaching. I mean, this this could be vastly different. I, I mean, what if Indiana loses today? I, I don't think they make a change. I'm not trying to suggest that, but that might start the the hot stove uh, the the hot seat warming up if they lose this game. <laughs> Uh, especially how they how they started and how they, and how they potentially worked in that instance, um, but then yeah, Jeff Brom. I, I mean, we'll see. I think he's going to Louisville, but you know, I don't have any inside sources on that. It's just a hunch. I mean, I we'll see. I, I don't know. And uh, you, you you know you you can't rule out that whole being able to go back home. And sometimes it's not about prestige or. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming the money would be equal, if not maybe a little bit better in Louisville. Um, but you, you can't rule out that whole going back home thing. And I, I think with what we've heard through the rumor mill, it just seems to be too much smoke there to, to not see a fire. Ed, I know you got a bell on us. Uh, Ed is our, our official NFL contributor, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles uh, for Sports Exchange, www.footballmaven.io. Ed, any final thoughts of words of wisdom, sir? No, I'm, I'm. Yeah, that, that's it. I'm looking forward to uh, you know the Colts and the and the Dolphins. Uh, you know, Matt might be right. It might be a close game. I think the I think the Colts are kind of hitting their stride, and uh, I think they're going to maybe win by uh, ten points. But you know, uh, it should be a good game either way. Matt's right. Elimination games are you know it's tough to knock a team out to drive that stake through their heart and uh, kind of end their season, so to speak, here in the end of November. But uh, we'll see. I'm looking forward to that game and some others too. So. Uh, enjoy the high school uh, game on today, Matt. Thank you, Ed. Will do. All right, all right Ed, thanks, have yourself a good. All right, have yourself a good weekend. Ed Kratz uh, joins you us uh, talking to some Eagles. I uh, got uh, Matt Hicks here for a few more minutes. Uh, I appreciate you you calling in and talking some Colts uh, with us. With the Dolphins, bring back uh, uh, Ryan Tannehill, and uh, you know on 1070 there, you guys have a segment called uh, "Get to Know Your Foe." So help us get to know our foe this week, if you will. Well, you, you talk about Ryan Tannehill, and obviously an upgraded quarterback uh, for, for Miami over over the backup, um, Osweiler. It took me a second. Um, but uh, I, when you come back after about, what, a month off, uh, that's always a little rust to shake off. So hopefully the Colts can get out to an early start and an early lead and allow them to play what we know is you know, kind of a resurgence of Colts football. It's, you know, it's, you know, you get the lead and, and play defense with the lead and um, the good things happen. It, it becomes a very opportunistic defense for the Colts when they have a seven or 10 point lead. Um, but you talk about the, the foe, obviously a very familiar face at the running back position with Miami and that's Frank Gore. And he mm-hmm. will have uh, plenty to give uh, tomorrow. I have no doubt. Um, I was curious throughout the week, if we would hear, 
that maybe it, it was not an amicable parting, but it, it sounds like actually the Colts and Frank Gore, it was a very amicable parting. Uh, I've I read that Gore and Chris Ballard text regularly. Uh, it, it, you know, Ballard appreciates what Gore brought uh, to the, to the club. And, and it is kind of easy to look back and see what Frank Gore would look like with this current offensive line. I, 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 I I'm kind of, sad for him that it didn't work out that he didn't have this group to run behind ever but obviously with with the backs the Colts have it's a it's a real good fit with with what they've got right now they 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 like to run yes between the tackles but they also like to get Mac and Hines outside Wilkins is kind of the inside back if you will Um, but obviously it'll be good to see Frank Gore tomorrow and uh, I'm sure he'll get a few yards and then you talk about the wide receiver position for Miami it's a very interesting position. They've, they've talked about dealing um, a couple of their wide receivers during the trade deadline. It did not happen. Um, so you, you're always curious to see as, as the season progresses past those rumors, how guys respond. Sometimes they respond very well and put up big, big games after that. We've not quite seen that yet, but I can attribute that a little bit to, to being with the back of quarterback. So we'll see how quickly everybody regains their rapport with Tannehill. Um, defensively, this Miami team is, is not as good as, as we've seen in the past. The Colts should be able to score. I don't think this is going to be a shootout. They can slow the Colts down. Uh, but I, I guess I'll go out on a limb now. I think the, uh, the, the sackless streak is going to extend at least another week here. So, as we know, last week, and I know you weren't on the show, but we talked about it in great detail of where Levanian Bell might end up at. I don't know that it's that much of a – I think a lot of people think he'll end up at the Raiders or the Jets. But I, I think we could find a place for him here, even though it might be a PR nightmare, might be a little bit expensive. If uh, if uh, Frank Ballard was to write a big check, is it too much of a stretch to think that he would write one to him? Well, uh, and we've kind, of, we've kind of talked about this before a little bit, you and I have. And, and where I come from – with Chris Ballard is he's not done that yet. Now that doesn't mean he might not do that this off season. I just don't see it for a skilled position. I, I, I think he's going to continue to, um, you know, at Kroger, they had like the woohoo deals. Chris Ballard is like a woohoo shopper. I mean, he, 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 he gets those deals that you're like, you're like, who's, I don't know who that is. And then, and then by week eight, you're going, woohoo, Marcus Hunt, he's good. Um, so I don't know that Le'Veon Bell is is a fit or not a fit. He'd probably be great with this offensive line, but but boy, you have to like the way uh, Mac and Hines and Wilkins run it by committee. Um, Bell is definitely a featured back kind of guy. The Colts have not really had a featured back. I mean, they featured a die, um, I, I suppose you'd say, but really, Edward James is the last featured back that they really ran exclusively. And then after his knee injury, they, they didn't even run him exclusively with Tom Rhodes and, and a host of other uh, helpers, if you will. Um, I, yeah, I just don't see Bell. I mean, for the money, he's going to command, what, 15, I assume, 14, 15 million a year or, or 25 million guaranteed. I, I just don't see it. But I suppose with this offseason, they have the most, the Colts have the most cap space available of any team in the NFL. They'll need to resign some of their guys because Ballard's done a lot of one and two year deals with some of these guys. But I mean, there's still going to be a lot of money to go around, and I I just don't know. I don't know if running back is the chief area of need, and and, and I'm not sure wide receiver is he either. I, I know everybody points to wide receiver, but with Dontrell Inman and the way this this core has come together, 
I don't know that you can't draft a guy and, and bring another guy along and, and not spend big money on a wide receiver again. So we'll, we'll just see. I, I'm, I think it's going to be a lot of uh, woohoo deals again in, in this, uh, this summer of free agency. So, uh, you know, we saw last week uh, the Colts inducted Reggie Wayne into the ring of honor. Yeah. Uh, we see, we see what's awesome. Uh, you can speak a little bit about your memories about Reggie Wayne, but we, we see a very high potential, high impact wide receiver in T.Y. Hilton. We don't ever know which T.Y. Hilton's going to show up. We always knew uh, what Reggie Wayne was going to do. Do you think that maybe uh, Reggie Wayne um, has had conversations with, with T.Y. and said, hey, here's kind of here's the scheme, here's kind of the things to, to do? Or do you think that doesn't happen? But, but certainly if you're going to have somebody give you advice to that position, he'd be the one to get it from. Well, I think, yeah, first off, I, I think you're right. But, but also don't forget, in, in Reggie Wayne's most productive years, he had a guy on the left side that was a Hall of Famer. I mean, Marvin Harrison was, was like legit first ballot Hall yes. of Famer. I know, he had to wait. I know he had to wait one extra round. But, but I mean, um, so, I mean, T.Y., frankly, just doesn't have that. And he, and he really only had that for, what, the first two or three years of his career with, with Reggie there and Reggie's a I think it's fair to say at least a borderline Hall of Famer it may not may not be in but I think he's close um so what T.Y. needs is someone to take the pressure off him and and Eric Ebron has done that to an extent you saw Tennessee last week they had a safety and a linebacker on Ebron at all times well what is when you when you double a tight end which is crazy by the way I mean very few tight ends other than Gronk and Travis Kelsey get get double teamed. But when you double a tight end, that allows single coverage on your wide receiver like Hilton, and he's a speed burner, so he's going to get past the defense. We saw it last week a couple times, obviously, and when you put up 170-some yards, you obviously are, are, are getting single coverage quite a bit. That's what Hilton needs. It, um, luck is throw out last year. You know, I don't count that. You know, young, young backup quarterback, you know, that's going to be tough on any wide receiver. But, but Luck is very um, cerebral when he for, when he's going to force a ball to somebody. He's not going to force it unless he thinks they can catch it. And that's why sometimes you see games where the defense just takes T.Y. Hilton away, and there's really not much the Colts can do about it other than making you pay with Ebron, uh, short game with Inman, Jack Doyle, this, this, this and even Mo Alley-Cox when he's, um, when he's healthy. This team is very balanced uh, from an offensive standpoint, but that doesn't rule out the TLI when he gets single coverage can have huge, huge games. Let's talk a little bit about the Indiana Pacers. We'll let you go. Uh, but yep. the, the Pacers, we, 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 we kind of got spoiled last year, uh, and this year they're kind of doing what we expected them to do last year. Now this year we expect them to do what they did last year, uh, but the, the Pacers uh, – uh, really, last night, uh, I believe it was last night against San Antonio, yeah, it was really a, a lackluster uh, appearance, of course, without Victor Owen De- Depot also missing Miles Turner. Obviously, those are huge, huge things. They never led against the Spurs. Uh, but uh, what are your thoughts about the Indiana Pacers overall this year? Yeah, I'm not worried. Um, I think they're the I, – I said going in, I think they're the third-best team in the East. They're the third-best team in the East right now. Um Maybe I was a little wrong about the top two, 
I think Boston not being in the mix is uh, quite surprising to me. I didn't think Milwaukee, with what Milwaukee did, I'm shocked they're playing as well as they are. Um, that's, I, I guess, for another day. But, but Indiana, yeah, I'm not worried. Um, there's some guys available too, Tom, that I'm not, a, I'm not like really into the wheeling and dealing thing, but there's like legitimate superstars available right now. Bradley Beal, John Wall, maybe others. Perhaps, and I, I don't know, but perhaps this is the time where you really roll the dice and you put a few of your assets together and, and get a superstar, a legit superstar to pair with Oladipo. And if you're able to keep Sabonis and or Turner along with that pairing, then I don't want to go like too far here, but then you might have something super special. You might have a real chance to, to, to take the East because I – I think it's wide open. I mean, I think in a seven-game series, even the way this current Pacer team is built, I, I don't know that there's such heavy underdogs against a Toronto or a Milwaukee or even a Boston that they can't win that series. Um, and, and they have that great experience to rely on the, of last year in the playoffs. I'm just not worried. I, I think it takes 20, 25 games to come together. We're at 19. Injuries have been a part of it. They could easily be a couple more games over 500, but the reality of it is they're already a few games over 500, and I think they'll continue uh, to, 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 to spread that gap. But as constructed, I'm not sure they're more than a 52 or a 54-win team, and, and that might be enough to win the East, and it might not be. I, I, just, I think expectations may have grown a little bit too much after last season's success. They didn't do a ton to change the team now sometimes when you keep a team together that's all the improvement you need and I think as the season progresses people get healthy Aaron Holiday gets into the rotation which he clearly deserves to be in as of right now I think you're going to see a little more offensive flow defensively Tom they're fine defensively they're 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 great defensively when they're all healthy but offensively they need to get that flow and and swagger that they had last year. And don't you dare tell me it's because Lance Stevens not Stevens not there. <laughs> I, won't, I won't hear it, Tom. I won't hear it. Uh, all right. I was getting ready to go. I was getting ready to go there. <laughs> so we're a couple of years in. <laughs> we're a couple. We're a couple of years in uh, with Kevin Pritchard. Obviously, we, I'm replacing Larry Bird at the helm. Uh, do we think that he's doing is as as he replaced Larry Bird? Has he replaced Larry Bird? I mean, I know Larry Bird is still a, is a, more of a consultant than anything, but uh, I mean, we gotta like kind of what he's done, especially with this with this Victor Olin Depot uh, pull to, well, to us. I mean, okay, but take that out of it. You bring a guy in two years, twenty million, and you get a legit small forward starting starting small forward that is, I mean, frankly, is a borderline all star in Boyan Bogdanovich. Um, he's he's played very well since coming over from Washington, um, you know, finishing that half season up with Washington being a free agent and you get, you're getting for a song in what the modern NBA is. Darren Collison had a career year last year. He's not off to the same start this year. Um, so, I mean, you know, I don't really fault anybody for a guy not having another career year two years in a row. But Kevin Pritchard has done a, a fantastic job. I think in the NBA, it is so hard to rebuild on the fly, and Indiana is so – I don't want to say spoiled because we throw that around too often, but Indiana is 
just seen it so many times now. I mean, this painter organization has literally rebuilt on the fly every time they needed to rebuild. You have your, you have your, what you think is your future superstar franchise player going to have the poster on the side of the building all of a sudden one day say, yeah, I don't want to be here anymore. But you got to move him. And you don't give in to temptation and, and get a ton of draft picks. You take a guy that's bounced around, I guess, two teams, and it was the second pick in the draft. You know him because he's from, you know, he went to college here. And you get this son of a, an NBA legend in Sabonis who started most of the season for Oklahoma City. And now they're, I mean, frankly, they're cornerstones of your franchise. You have a defensive mm-hmm. guy in Miles Turner who, if he ever figures out how to score 18 points a game, he's, he's all NBA. I mean, there's no there's – no, I mean, forget Joel Embiid. This guy is on a, on a low block defensively. He's, he's at the top. So, I mean, you've you got three pieces there that, that are going to win you a ton, a ton of games if everybody stays healthy. I look forward to it. Matthew Hicks, uh, uh, local radio personality here in Indianapolis, talking some Colts and uh, some local flavors, some high school football. That's always fun. Where can people find you working your masterpieces, sir? Well, I believe uh, at noon, if you're listening live, at noon we start the uh, 1A broadcast on 107.5 FM and 1070 AM here in Indianapolis and all around the state of Indiana. So I'll be doing that today. And then, as we say, uh, future dates to be determined after that. This is uh, TBD. Kind of, kind of <laughs> when, you, when you say, yeah, when you say freelance radio, that is exactly true. I'm really uh, a man without a country now. So uh, when someone calls, I'll answer. Well, that you just you just got to call up Kevin Lee and say, hey, uh, Kevin, uh, uh, point me in the right direction. <laughs> now, there's a, there's is, an example uh, yeah. of real freelance. He's uh, he's everywhere now, doing everything. That- He's a worker. That's that's right. He is everywhere. That's correct. All right, buddy. You have yourself a good weekend. We'll we'll chat with you soon. Yeah, happy holidays, Tom. We'll talk soon. All right, you you too. Matt Hicks uh, joins us. Uh, Guys, we've got to wrap it up. Put ball on it. Thank you to Matthew Embry and and Mo to be a sports show. Join us and talk to college football. Uh, Steve Wilson. Have Speedway Digest uh, giving us a recap on the 2018 NASCAR season. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, and our official NFL contributor, and Matt Hicks as well. Thank you for joining us. Remember, every Saturday morning we do this thing called The Balance, and if you download the podcast, we thank you. Make sure you hit the word uh, – Make sure you hit the word uh, subscribe or follow, uh, depending on wh- where you, you get us out. You can get us on all of the major uh, podcast, po- podcast platforms. My name is Tom Mark with El Presidente. Don't drink and drive. It isn't cool. I'm out of here. Deuces.
Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.